Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Envisioneering Exchange, the podcast where industry leaders discuss the most important topics in sustainability, climate change, buildings, and urban efficiency. I'm Vic Marinich, Global Marketing Director for Dan Foss, and I'm really excited to be taking over as the host for this podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is my first podcast. This is our first podcast of the new season, and we're really kicking things off with a bang here, jumping right into the big topics, jumping into climate change. And today, we're really fortunate to have Julia Panzer, a climate and energy expert, uh, former UN and former Dan Foss, on the show to talk about climate change and talk about the progress that's happening now. We're going to look a bit specifically about what companies can do to continue advancing and accelerating the climate challenge. Juliet recently had served on the United Nations Climate Action Team as energy lead, and she'll be moving into a new role in philanthropy in just a few weeks. Prior to these roles, Julia also worked at Danfoss, and she was in uh, our public affairs group. So, Julia, it's really an honor to have you here as our first guest, as my first guest on this uh, new season of our podcast. Welcome. Well, Rick, the pleasure is mine, of course. As a former Danfoss employee, it's always nice to be back um, and chat with the real doers. We're excited to have you here. So you're really an expert when it comes to climate policy. You've seen both the public and the private uh, sector side of things. So can you please tell us maybe a bit about your background and why you're so committed and passionate about this important topic? Yeah, Vic. So I think I was literally sliding into it um, in my youth. I was quite a vivid um, skier as a child. I, I grew up in the Bavarian mountains and it took like, you know, 30 minutes from home where my mom would take us after school and we would go skiing and very local sort of there. And I think that was the first time when sort of climate change came sort of to my doorsteps because while I was able to do this, like just like from year to year, we experienced that there was less snow. And um, while I think at the time, of course, I didn't put two and two together, it was really just this experience that I couldn't do what I was doing in my pastime. And right now, actually, there's no more skiing in that area of the Bavarian forest. And uh, today, well, you're catching me in Spain, um, where I live now. And uh, just a couple of days ago, we had a wildfire. And that wildfire ate up about 12,000 hectares, um, which is, I looked it up, 30,000 acres of forest, or like 4,900 football fields. Um, so that's, that's quite a bit um, in a mere four days. So what I want to say with these anecdotes, really, I feel like climate change is now at everyone's doorsteps and people are suffering and calling for action. So for me, as the UN Secretary General said, it's this task, it's the defining task of our lifetimes of the 21st century to make peace with nature. And whatever I can do to contribute to that is, is what I'm up for. That's when I think on a bad day, I'm pretty anxious. I might be outraged um, and, uh, you know, kind of inclined to, to give up. But then, and that's the, that's the crux, I remember working for Danfoss with a bunch of great engineers and, you know, become hopeful because um, I know that the solutions are there. Um, for like a matter of fact, if you look at the International Energy Agency, sort of the authority in the field, they say that 90% of the technology that we need to reach our climate targets, uh, to keep this 1.5 degrees Celsius increase in, in global temperatures, sort of to that limit, we have all 90% of the technology. So 
it's really about implementation. And that's why I'm so passionate because we can do it. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, one anecdote is just that an anecdote, but we're seeing more and more and more people having those same anecdotes. So at some point it becomes the lived experience, right? And I mean, I think everybody's got the story of where you can't go skiing anymore. Or I personally, I was out hiking in uh, Rocky Mountain National Park and half the park was closed because of the forest fires that came through the previous year. So it's not just a uh, side note story anymore. I mean, it's impacting everybody's lives. So it's fantastic to have people so passionate and and driving the public sector and helping push the private sector that way. Yeah. But, you know, I think also, of course, we are, this is a very privileged view on, well, I can't do my pastime activity, but let me just point out so that, of course, for many, many people, right, it's, it's livelihoods and lives that are on the line there. And sort of the recent reports from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, I mean, they show that Right now, half of humanity is in the danger zone. And um, if you live in sort of Africa, South Asia, Central South America, you're already 15 times more likely to die from an extreme weather event. And I think, you know, this is really something we in the sort of industrialized nations in the West need to think about also when it comes to climate change is this adaptation, helping people with the tools we have. Recently, you worked for the UN on their climate action team. So you can maybe tell us a bit about their mission, the objectives, and what the actions of the group were focused on? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, it was really a privilege um, to work for the UN, for the Secretary General and his climate action team. And um, what the task there was, and and still is, of course, um, the Secretary General, the UN, in the, the preamble of the charter is we the peoples, right? So it's it's for the people. It's um, to to keep this planet livable and and therefore being the guardian of ambition and morale. So the team that I was working in was making sure to keep the Secretary General up to date with the latest science, with the latest facts, to keep us true to science and also to deliver on the Paris climate agreement um, that, that was enacted in 2015. So it was a political unit to help steer and, um, and deliver on the 1.5 degree target. We know the science is clear. I want to point it out for the readers because you cannot say this enough that we need to reduce emissions by almost half by 2030 to reach that net zero target uh, by 2050. And that's really what we did. So I was the energy lead in the team, um, which is at the heart of the climate challenge with you know 75% of global greenhouse gas emissions um, stemming from coal, oil, and gas. And uh, and we know that we still produce way too much of those to, to stay in the limits. And therefore, it that was one of the big tasks also to make sure how can we transition? What do we need in terms of support, technology, finance, uh, but also human capital skills to transition to do this in a just and equitable way? And um, yeah, that's not an easy task, but you know one that we are all in it together. Yeah. And throw in a global pandemic to, to top it all off, right? To try to get the work done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, we don't want to talk about what's happening this year. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Tough times. Yeah. Super interesting and definitely, uh, I think, motivating, right? As you said, when you have uh, this goal that you need to drive towards and you're seeing the results of inaction day to day. So yeah, super, super exciting. So But what do you think is going to be next? What can we expect uh, coming forward? You know, we have uh, COP27 in uh, Egypt in November. What can we expect uh, coming out in the next phases? 
Well, for me, I think we really need to start tackling sort of the big questions, right? Sort of those big elephants in the room. And it's about how to reconcile the ecological, the economic, the social, the political time horizons. I mean, this is not a new crisis. We've been warned by the Club of Rome. And in 50 years ago, there was a, a conference of, on renewable and new energy in 1981. So that's more than 40 years ago um, to do the math for you guys. And we knew what the solutions are and you know what the solutions are. And that's why the upcoming climate conference, COP27 in Egypt, is about implementation. We need to show progress on the three pillars of the Paris Climate Agreement. That's mitigation. So meaning what do we need to do to reduce emissions now, right? So we need to really cut much deeper, much faster the, the GHG emissions and deploy massively <laughs> renewable energy and energy efficiency. So that's pretty clear. Uh, then on adaptation, that's the second pillar where um, as we discussed earlier, you know, the climate impacts are there already. So we need to help people to make investments to, let's say, uh, you know, flood-proof their, their towns and cities, make sure that they have early warning systems. So that means when there is like a wildfire or something happening, they can be warned, can be evacuated. And again, that we're lacking really tremendously behind there, making sure that this becomes a business case, um, of course. And then the finance piece. I mean, there, the developed nations have promised $100 billion in climate finance um, for the developing countries, and that hasn't been delivered on. And then you know, really shifting the funding, the money from the fossil fuel based economy to a renewable based economy. And we need to see progress on all of these things this year with a focus on sort of adaptation and finance um, when it comes to Egypt as a climate conference presidency. So a bunch of things. Yes, that absolutely sounds very interesting uh, coming ahead. And and of course, when we talk about implementation, I have to imagine that that's going to incorporate a lot more the private sector, right? I mean, that's where the technologies come out. That's where the manufacturing is going to have to come out, where we need to make sure we have enough of the right products, we have the right efficiencies and so on. So yeah, I think now is right a good time that we start talking about the transition away from just writing policies and getting to the implementation. So if I speak now for Danfoss, right, we've recently announced our commitment to sustain sustainability and uh, uh, ESGs. So we've decided we focus on decarbonization, on uh, circularity and diversity and inclusion. I'll be taking a deeper dive into those topics in upcoming podcasts. But if we look uh, kind of overall, it's clear, I think, right, large global companies, we need to make more investments in these areas. I can speak uh, from Danfoss, we're seeing it, obviously, a pull coming. Our customers are asking for this. Our customers' customers are asking for this. Stakeholders are asking uh, for the companies to do this. So we see it really as part of our business, right? Maybe 20 years ago, you would uh, right do some offsetting by planting some trees, and that could make it into an annual report, and you felt good about yourself. But I think we've gone much beyond that. So how do you see it that global companies can make an impact on these climate goals? Well, I agree with you. Um, like it's the time for targets is really over. It's been for a while. So I think for companies, it's really looking into transparency and honesty and really making sure that whatever plans you have, that they're not just plans, you know, like not that long ago, let's say five years ago, it was more like, oh, you have a sustainability department and that's sort of like your checkbox and um, it sits there and everyone else can go sort of on with business as usual. My approach also went back in Danfoss and, and working in the private sector was always, well, if your procurement department is only looking at cost, then 
your sustainability department, you know, is not there and, and your plans are not valid. The same goes for if you have a business model um, that is just entirely against keeping within the, the Paris Agreement and our planetary boundaries, really, then there's need for tremendous change. Or if you only look at your, you know, scope one and two emissions, for instance, sort of your own and your your uh, supply chain, but not at those of your customers. I think that we call now greenwashing. And there was a recent push because what we can see is that we have all these plans, companies, but also governments alike, right? And yet, instead of halving emissions by 2030, we're looking at an increase right now of 14%. So clearly, while we have great ambitions and plans, we're not implementing, we're not doing it. So as a company, and I think, you know, you need to make it core business. I remember talking to to one of your leaders um, in Danfoss recently, and he said to me, hey, Julia, you know, now we're really looking into making net zero products to help our customers and to be ready with our portfolio to help those companies implement their plans. And, you know, this is the moment when it becomes part of, of your core business and not just something that sits in your sustainability department. So for me, there are two things, right? It's just implementing it internally and not just talking. That's really easy. And then two, also making sure that you have that solutions offered to your customer, to the people and talk about it. Because I think we still hear much too much still about how difficult it is, but we've known for 40 years. So if we just get our act together, uh, you know, we've done many other things as, as the great humans that we are and the, the great engineers that we're having, but it's about transparency and honesty and really changing business models and, and taking the hard cuts. Uh, the easy part is over. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can think back from the Danfoss side, you have always some of those lead customers who are always interested in the sustainability or in a circular economy, right, in uh, recyclable products and so on, and then others who are maybe still waiting behind. And I think as a leader in this area, Danfoss is really helping push it to all the customers out there, right, and to help everybody understand because, right, we know it's not, as you said, right, the, the easy stuff is done, but sitting and waiting for something to happen also is, isn't a solution. So Dan Foss, I think, has been very active working across our uh, the spectrum to really help promote these ideas and to show that they're good, viable, as you said, the technology is already there, right, solutions that can help mitigate much of climate change. And, you know, that also means maybe cutting cash cuts off your portfolio. And this is something where, of course, it gets very difficult. And these decisions are not easy, but um, there is a, a European company that works in lighting, when they introduced LED lighting and lobbied for that um, in the European Parliament, then they still had, you know, I don't know, I would have to I give you a number, you know what, two thirds of um, their profits were still coming from the incandescent light bulb. So that's the hard cuts. You know, this is leadership. And I think that's what we need to think about when we say we're leaders in this climate change thing, because the greenwashing, the, the, the punishment from consumers, from customers, but also from your workforce will be and is already very hard. So it's make the change now or be changed or be not part um, of the future, basically. We're there. And that's, I think, where it's important to have a public-private relationship going, right? Because as you said, right, I mean, people that were making incandescent light bulbs or internal combustion engines or whatever the next thing they go are will suffer, right, and uh, could potentially be out of work. And we need the public sector to work together with the private sector to make sure that we're not just swapping one pain for another pain, right? Uh, so I think that's uh, super important that we work like that. Now, something, so Dan Foss and, and uh, me uh, specifically, I'm more on the 
air conditioning and cooling side of the business. And I know we've been heavily involved in the cooling coalition effort. Maybe that's something that you can uh, do a bit deeper dive on and uh, share a little bit more about what that coalition is about. The UN um, Environment Program is one of the sort of UN agencies that work concretely with private sector, with companies on sort of topics. One of them they've identified a couple of years ago, of course, no surprise for most listeners here today, most likely is, is cooling, right? Uh, we know we need it. Uh, it's not just luxury. We need it uh, for health, for our food, for food safety, for many vital functions in, in our societies. Um, but we also know that with cooling comes emissions, and, and those are expected to double by 2030, if, you know, keeping unchecked. Uh, we talked a little bit about efficiency of air conditioners, you know, passive cooling, what can we do? So the Cool Coalition is one of these initiatives where this public-private partnership piece comes in that we also discussed. It's bringing the manufacturers together, bringing the companies together, but also bringing cities in and sort of, you know, building owners, real estate, and, and seeing what can be done to ensure that this is not becoming a, a bigger problem than it is and in the end is, is part of the solution because we know, you know, we need cooling and also especially in a, in a world that's getting hotter and hotter. So this, for me, is one of those examples where the honesty and the transparency can be, can be lived. Nanfos is a partner there um, with many others and, uh, and, and then showcasing that there are the solutions out there. So in the advocacy and the knowledge exchange part. Um, so we get basically ahead of the curve. And I think that's what it's all about to make sure that, uh, that the engineering and uh, the tech gives us a push into the right direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Private companies should be driving the technology, the next generation products. So we've talked, to, I think, a good bit what companies can be doing to help support this transition. What, what do we expect from the policymaker side of things? What kind of uh, policies can we see going uh, forward, you think? I think, luckily, we just speak here in August and we've seen um, the Inflation Reduction Act in, uh, in the U.S. coming through, which I can tell you definitely in sort of the, the climate circles, it was celebrated. Um, of course, you know. Policy and politics, it's complicated, it's complex, uh, so is our world. But this is definitely one of the highlights. Um, and, and we can see now this has been happening in the U.S., um, but we also have you know, the EU stepping up their renewable and energy efficiency targets, ratcheting them up. We will see um, more commitments and plans coming through from, uh, from governments around the, the COP climate conference because they, there's also something about increasing ambition and uh, ratcheting up the goals and the targets with every year. So for policymakers, again, staying true to commitments and, and legislation. But I think what we've seen now, it started a little bit with the pandemic, the build back better, recovering better kind of movement. And now, of course, with, with the recent events in, um, in Ukraine, is that this renewable-based economy is just good for, for everyone and for us as humans, for all species, for the planet, and, and also for business. And my expectation is that we will see more and more policymakers and to kind of ratchet up and have this upward positive spiral where we see more and more legislation um, and frameworks that will accelerate this transition. And, and again, you know, all of us together that have the solutions, that have that knowledge to speed it up. So very much national legislation uh, to, to put that through. And, and it's happening. So you mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act in the U.S. We passed the AIM Act now almost uh, three years ago. Do you see differences to the approaches to climate impact between the different regions? So, you know, we see what's going on in North America. How do you see things in Europe and in Asia? 
well, I see a convergence, actually. I see that it's becoming uh, more on the competition side. I mean, we've seen Asia has been doing that for a while. I think, you know, when you talk to also the companies in the U.S., other places, it's like, well, the business is going well. Um, they're happy with, with the transition, just that the scale and speed is not yet where we need it to be to actually counter what we've done the last sort of 40 years, right, uh, in terms of the climate. And, and that's where... I see that the policy sort of steering will be important to really ramp it up. We see um, funding coming through, right, for um, new technologies, but also for making sure that we are scaling up or ensuring a faster permitting process for renewables, um, making sure that we have mandatory standards on efficiency, let's say in public buildings, driven by different factors, but into the right direction. So I think I see a convergence um, as we see the impacts everywhere. So there's really no more hiding and and people are demanding it. Yeah, but that's good news to see uh, everybody on the same uh, sheet of paper then, I guess, kind of coming forward. Now, we've talked about some of the positive things we can do and that are happening. What do you see as some of the barriers to achieving decarbonization? Let's talk specific for North America and uh, what kind of policies do you think can come in place? Yeah, I think there's um, discussed the speed of permitting of renewables, for instance, but I mean, we see some you know, funding coming in, uh, still there needs to be a streamlining of, of that. And also when it comes to the concrete policies, I think the more of a solutions, for lack of a better word, lobby, because it's not always a bad word, right? A solutions lobby that really comes together and, and not a slicing of the cake before you actually bake it. What I mean by that is I see a lot of people coming from, you know, they want a wind turbine, um, solar, heat pumps, insulation, this and that and that coming together and saying, this is how we do it, instead of sort of ripping the benefits for each little piece of the puzzle, from my perspective, uh, would be beneficial. I mean, we've seen also that there are, of course, supply chain issues, something that is now hopefully being uh, solved. But again, I think being a, sort of a child of the uh, of globalization, of integration, of living sort of with all different kinds of people, we need to be careful that it's not becoming like me, 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 but that we are doing this together, right? We know where the rare earths are. We know where, for instance, you know, can we do some manufacturing in countries that right now are not part of that global supply chain, um, helping them invest in technologies to leapfrog and to create, as you said, new jobs, because it's also about this, what's called just transition on like, how do we do reskilling and upskilling um, and do this in a fair and equitable way so that we're not leaving different groups of society or broader on the global society behind. And the different specific policies are important, but making sure that we steer that in this, in this global direction will help us to go faster because um, people are demanding it and benefiting from it. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe we look a little bit forward. You're going to be starting a new position here uh, soon with the Energy Transition Fund, which is a philanthropical organization. Uh, I know you haven't started yet, but maybe you can give us a, a bit of a sneak peek about uh, their mission uh, and their charter. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much what we talked about. So continuing my passion, I would say, and uh, and supporting sort of those voices that um, that accelerate the energy transition and help to put people in front, make it just and equitable but also um, to, to showcase how we can do it and, and provide sort of developing countries with support, but also making sure that, as we discussed, policymakers and companies are, are walking the talk and are implementing. And um, yeah, so, so it's, it's basically a funder collaborative that, that was 
put together in 2019, pooling the philanthropic muscle to, to move the energy transition towards renewables away from, uh, from coal, oil and gas. And um, yeah, I'm excited. I can't give you much more because I haven't yeah. started yet, but definitely uh, excited to, you know, drive this forward and also like keeping a very open door to, to the real stuff, because that's definitely something that I've always discussed with, um, with my colleagues, friends at Danfoss and other companies is that oftentimes you feel like policymakers or people in philanthropy or where is it, you know, are a bit far away from what's actually going on. So for me, it's very key to have this dialogue, knowing what is actually possible on the technology side and the engineering and then implement that and vice versa. So bringing these hopeful messages forward, I think will be something I'd like to focus on. Let's see if it happens. Good. Fantastic. We wish you uh, the best of luck, of course. So maybe as a last question, we've got an audience here of technical people, right? Engineers and so on. What would be the one challenge you'd like to offer to all the listeners uh, as they go forward and we think about uh, this uh, climate transition? Now, I'm sure we have a lot of engineers on the podcast, most likely also people that work not in sustainability or in, uh, you know, around ESG or whatnot. So it's about like, how can you make a difference? Can you ask your leaders to do more? Is it that you're in procurement and can do it? I think making this everyone's moral and economic responsibility for yourself, kids, grandchildren is really the challenge of the time. And maybe Vic, can I ask you a question too? Of course. How are you implementing when you go home today? So for me, when I go home, it's about uh, doing the basic things that you can. It's uh, setting back the thermostat, right? I mean, in the summer now, we, we set it higher, right? In the winter, a bit lower. It's about making sure we're using water well, right? And I don't have my kids uh, running the faucets and doing all those kinds of things. And, and it's really, for me, there's so many simple things you can do around the house day to day. And I remember, you, you know, you start hearing some of these things and you kind of say, ah, okay. But then you see it done, and for me, in a household of five, right? Times five people, times, you know, X number of whatever it's going to be, light bulbs on, water running, heater going, dishwasher, whatever. It really does make an impact. So for me, as a father of, of three, it's about instilling in my kids also the value of the environment, right? The value of doing the right thing and leaving things for future generations. Yeah. And I imagine you're an engineer as well. Yeah. So, of course, then that gets into the professional side. And yeah, for me, then it, it's about uh, working to design the, the next generation components that are going to help our customers make the most efficient uh, refrigeration and air conditioning products out there. Because, you know, Danfoss, it's, uh, I say, the cheapest electricity is the electricity we don't use, right? So how can we find a way to reduce the overall demand? It, it, we talked a bit on the air conditioning side. There's going to be a huge spike in a need for air conditioning, right, as, as temperatures rise. We can't have those units running at the same efficiency levels they're running today. So how do we make sure we do that? And, and at Danfoss, right, very proud. It starts at the component level. And if we can make all the components well and right, then we can put them into units that are going to be much more efficient for our customers' customers. Yeah, the time is now, right? So you have the tools, so... Absolutely, right? We do have the tools, and it's about making sure we can explain those tools and technologies to the, the people that need to use them, and we make them at a competitive marketplace and uh, something that can be a mass implemented. So for sure, Dan Foss, uh, we're very excited about what the future holds. Thank you for your work, then. 
So that's it for my first episode here of Envisioneering Exchange. Of course, I'd like to thank uh, my guest, uh, Julia Panzer, for joining us. And don't forget to subscribe to Envisioneering Exchange on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, Lastly, uh, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate, review, and share with your network. Thanks for listening and talk to you next time. This podcast is for information purposes only. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Envisioneering Exchange podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and not necessarily represent those of Danfoss LLC and its employees. Danfoss LLC is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening on this site. This podcast series does not constitute professional advice or services. This podcast, including Danfoss LLC and the producers, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects of information contained herein. Opinion of guests are their own, and Danfoss LLC in this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about the guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast. The developers of the Envisioneering Exchange podcast site assume no liability for any activities in connection with this podcast or for use of this podcast in connection with any other website website, computer, or playing device.